Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not, right, multifocal. Exactly not multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. Good morning, I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, and welcome to Open Your Eyes Radio. Please listen as we discuss the newest information in the world of health, nutrition, and sports every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280, The Patriot. Also, please share your thoughts by emailing me at drkerrygelb at gmail.com. That's D-R-K-E-R-R-Y-G-E-L-B at gmail.com. And visit my website, drkerrygelb.com. Open Your Eyes Radio welcomes back the very popular Dr. Mandy LaGreca. Dr. LaGreca is a doctor of clinical nutrition. In our first show, Dr. LaGreca spoke about general, way, general ways to improve health using nutrition as a foundation. Please visit her website, icyhealer.com, where you can learn about her program. She is also very active on social media at Dr. Mandy DCN Instagram and Dr. Mandy DCN TikTok. Dr. LaGreca, welcome back to Open Your Eyes Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again. We're so happy to have you back. I mean, you were so popular. We got a lot of questions from the audience. And in this episode, we're going we're gonna to ask you some of those questions. But let's start off with the concept of epigenetics. So is our health status only from genetics, only from the environment, or a combination of both? Dr. LaGreca, take it away. So you'll be surprised to hear that a lot of the literature and the experts believe that 70% of your health is actually environmental influences, lifestyle, and 30% is genetic. Although you'll see different mixed opinions depending on what you're reading, who you're talking to. And as you know, science is always changing and there's always opinions, it's very widely opinionated as well. So that's first thing is when you're looking at something and you're reading it, make sure that there isn't a bias. So you have to look at things that are unbiased. But from what I've seen, um, 70% is environmental and only 30% in fact is genetic. So let me ask you, there's something called the exposome, things that we're exposed to that affect our health. Can you tell us about some of the things besides diet? I think we all know that diet is very important. But what are some of the other things that could affect our health? 100% stress, number one. Number one, out of everything, I think that is the most underlooked component of health that is not being talked about openly, um, especially when you go visit a medical doctor, they don't really ask you what are your stress levels. I think that and uh, that goes along with mindset. 
So um, there's a lot to, to dive into that. Like, for example, um, there's a lot of even um, childhood um, family upbringing. Um, it, was there a divorce? Was there abuse? Was there sexual abuse? All of that can affect your epigenetics. All of that can actually, in, in some cases, they can imprint into the genes. There's genetic imprinting that when it's imprinted and there's, you know, most of the epigenetic markers are erased at birth. So we know that many of them are erased at birth. So you do get a pretty clean slate most of the time. However, there are some things that our ancestors have to go through that are imprinted into our genes. For example, famines. We know that famines have imprinted certain different epigenetic um, programming into generations after generations that it can go on for a hundred years. So there's a lot more than nutrition, a lot more that's involved in this process. How about exposure to environmental toxins? Yes, that's a big one. So um, we, unfortunately, um, the 21st century, right? Um, we are living in a much more toxic. So as we're trying to extend our life, um, our lifespan and longevity, and ex and we are living longer, right? And through that process, you know, we're having um, more exposure to things that have helped us. Like, let's say we're not going to die of like a bacterial infection anymore, right? That's unlikely. But through the process, we're also making changes to our microbiome because we are doing things that are, you know, you know, using hand sanitizer, using antibiotics, antimicrobials, pesticides. As our population increases on this planet, farmers are using other interventions such as pesticides to increase their crop output, correct? We can all agree that we are all exposed to pesticides and that's because we have more people to feed and their farmers have really not a lot of choices outside of using these types of chemicals. You know, one of the questions I got from, from people was about the food pyramid. Typically, when we interview somebody like yourself or somebody that's pretty well known, whether it's a physician or somebody from the nutrition world, they never talk about the food pyramid. <laughs> Uh, you know, because of the corporate lobbyists, you know, it's funny because the food pyramid was started in Sweden in the 70s. And there were protests that were done because the people weren't getting food at a, what they felt were a fair price. So the government put together a food pyramid so they could get they had, could get affordable food that was somewhat healthy. But it seemed that the food pyramid is controlled a lot by food lobbyists. And uh, I just, you know, they went from the food period to my plate. And I just would want you to comment on that as somebody who is an expert in nutrition. So diet is very individualized. That is the number one thing that I think the food permit neglects. However, you have to understand who's your audience. So if your audience is, you know, lower income people who are just trying to get out of their junk food, you know, fast food eating, then the food permit might be a good start for them, depending on what's on what you're choosing on the food permit. So if you look at the food permit, you know, it starts at the bottom, there's the grains, and then you've got the fruits and the vegetables. And I'm looking at it right now, because it's not something I look at very often, because I don't recommend it. I'm gonna be honest, it's not something I recommend. So I'm not very familiar with it. But I'm looking at it. And I'm like, okay, this is the food permit, the bottom is bread, cereal, rice, pasta, six to 11 servings. For someone who's used to eating McDonald's, or maybe they're not even getting food on the plate, right? Because I was a teacher once. There was definitely many kids who their only meal of the day was the free lunch that they were getting at school. That was 100% happening. So for those people, the food permit is excellent choice because it's a starting point. I don't think those people are thinking about optimal health. They're thinking about 
you know, getting food on the plate, period. But for everybody else who's kind of past that point and, you know, like you and I, and we're trying to get healthy, I think the food permit is neglecting your bio-individualization, your body's needs and what you need. I can't follow the food permit. If I follow that, I would gain about 20 pounds. That's way too much starch for my body. But some people who are more active or an athlete, someone who's burning more carbohydrates, they might be able to get away with that many servings of carbohydrates in their diet. So I just think that's the problem with the food permit is lacking bio-individualization. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, and Tufts came out with a food compass and on their food compass, if I got this right, uh, they had Lucky Charms, Cheerios, sweet potatoes, chips, uh, sweet potato chips rated ahead of ground beef and eggs. And actually they're saying it's two times as healthy as ground beef and eggs. As a nutrition specialist, <laughs> is Lucky Charms two times healthier than, uh, than eggs and ground beef? Well, if, if you're looking to get cancer in the next 10, 20 years, maybe, you know, I mean, I think about Lucky Charms as like a bowl of glyphosate. No, absolutely not. First of all, there's lots wrong with that Lucky Charms. Um, there's empty calories, although I think the cereal companies fortify it, which, you know, who knows how, you know, bioavailable those nutrients are. But truthfully, if you think about that, that's food coloring, that's glyphosate, you know, that's processed. So again, I think I said this last time, 80% of what you put in your mouth should be food that you have either had to kill yourself or grow it yourself. So if you think about that concept, Lucky Charms doesn't fit into that equation, does it? No, it doesn't. And but one of the things we talked about was the rainbow diet. Maybe right. Lucky Charms fits into that, but we're talking about the real rainbow diet. Correct. And we got about a minute and a half left. Tell us a little bit about the rainbow diet. So once again, the rainbow diet is on based on whole foods. Again, foods you have to grow. Doesn't include the meats, the meats that you're killing. It's so if you were if you were um, you know, a hunter and gatherer and you're out there and you're foraging for food, you're gonna more than likely your ancestors probably weren't eating one food. They were eating a variety of food because of what was available. So seasonal eating is also good too, but multiple colors because all of those different colors have these pigments in them that send signals to your immune system, to your microbiome, to, to do good things for your health. So when you diversify your diet, you can do that with a rainbow diet. You're actually improving your gut health. And through that, you're improving your immune system. And, you know, when people eat different colors, they're getting different nu nutrition right. and all the different colors. And one of the things is people do is they eat the same foods over and over again, the mm -hmm. same four or five foods. I know we're all guilty of it. People. We're all guilty of it. You know, you find a few things that you mm -hmm. like, and you keep eating them over Absolutely. and over again. Hey, you I've know? done it too. How do we stop from doing that? It's a conscious effort. You know, I actually give people a tracker and they have to actually do check marks on the little tracker for 28 days on how many times they eat a color. And I tell them to do 30, 30 times and eat one color. Make sure you have at least had one color once. I got a question from one of the audience about kombucha. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, there was just a study that was released from the from Georgetown University School of uh, of of Health, and they said that drinking kombucha in this study lowered blood sugar, and I was very surprised to to learn about that to see that. But then I started thinking about it, thinking about what is kombucha? It's fermented tea, and it changes the microbiome. And I know that you're an expert in the microbiome, but talk to me about kombucha. 
in your opinion, good, bad, ugly? Does that have to be a certain type of kombucha? Do you have to make it yourself? I know when I go into the into the grocery store and I look at different kombuchas, some have a lot of sugar, some have no sugar, some have a little bit of sugar. Tell us your opinion of kombucha. I mean, I'm going to tell you what I know Kiran Krishnan would tell me, and he is my mentor. I don't think it's colonizing the gut. Honestly, I, I mean, it's great. Enjoy it. Don't expect it to do magic. It's not going to replace your rainbow high fiber diet that feeds the microbiome. It just doesn't do that. Probiotics don't do that either. Probiotics don't colonize the gut. I think a lot of people think that probiotics, because that's what kombucha basically is, it's a probiotic. It, they don't colonize the gut. So if someone's thinking they're going to eat fast food and then they're going to have kombucha, that's not going to work you still have to eat the fiber. The fiber is what the microbes rely on. So if, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, the basics, like feed the microbiome, the kombuchas, enjoy it, but don't expect magic. Now, I don't drink kombucha for a couple of reasons. As a person with interstitial cystitis, kombucha is very high in histamine because there's microbes that are in there that are histamine producers. So if I drink too much of it, I have a flare. So a lot of my patients can't drink it. And there may be other people listening who have allergies, who have histamine intolerance, maybe not bladder pain related, but maybe they have gut issues. Maybe they have skin issues. Maybe they have other types of histamine issues. Kombucha is high in histamine. So you may find that your histamine problem will get worse while drinking kombucha as happened to me. The other problem is they're using tea. Tea is high in oxalates. You know, we talked about oxalates last time for someone with bladder pain syndrome, probably not a good idea to have black tea because it's high oxalate. So not necessarily a health food. Again, it goes back to individualization. What is your situation? What is, you, what is your health? What are you dealing with? If you have certain problems like histamine intolerance, I wouldn't recommend kombucha for you. Thank you for that. So you mentioned the microbiome, you mentioned glyphosate. Tell us what is the microbiome and what are things that could hurt the microbiome? So the microbiome is basically the bacteria. Well, let's call it the biome because it's not just bacteria. It's bacteria and viruses, archaea, all the different microbes, even fungi are part of this biome and they're residing in your GI tract. In fact, all over your body, your skin. Did you know we have more genes from our microbiome than we have our own genes? Yeah. So this is a big part, part, part of our health. Um, they're on your skin. They're all over you. They are basically, basically when you die, they'll continue living. <laughs> so um, they function in variety of different things. They make neurotransmitters. They make um, different immunoglobulins are there. They make different components of your immune system. Uh, they crosstalk. So the microbiome crosstalks with the brain. That's why they have the gut brain access. It crosstalks with the bladder. So we are born with a microbiome that we inherit mainly from our mothers because when they give birth to us vaginally, we are that's when we first get populated with our microbiome is through the vaginal canal. So if we've been a C-section, then we've been compromised from the beginning. And um, unfortunately, many people, um, once they're born, they're not breastfed. They're given formula. They're given vaccines right off the bat. Um, and they're given antibiotics, children are, babies are, because of an ear infection or whatever. That's the first thing we do. I've been through that. My children have been through that. We've all done it. So every time you do that, you are hurting your microbiome. Now, the good news is you can recover some of it with your diet. The bad news is you can't recover all of it. So if you killed some things, you might've killed them for your life. So that's why we always focus on your microbiome because 
roughly about 60 to 70% of your immune system relies on your microbiome. So if your microbiome is damaged, you're probably going to be very unhealthy. If there's a strong association with lots of diseases, even cancers, to an altered microbiome. So for kids that have been uh, a C-section, uh, how what are some recommendations they could do to improve their microbiome? The mothers could help with the babies in that situation. So I read a couple of studies that they're actually looking into vaginal seeding. So that's something you can talk about with your doctor to see if while you're pregnant to see if you can do some vaginal seeding. Um, but basically is taking some fluid from the vaginal canal and putting it on the, the baby, you know? So that's one thing. If you're pregnant, you're listening, you're going to have a C-section, see if you can do some seeding. I don't know if it's normal practice. The other thing you can do is um, breastfeed, Not, hands down. If you've had a, if you had a C-section, then at least you can give them the colostrum and then you can give them breast milk and breastfeed as long as you can. They say like up to two years is I, I breastfed my son up two years up to two years. So breastfeed as long as you can, because you are going to be providing your child with your microbiome that way. And then when they start eating solid foods, obviously, you know, again, it goes back to the rainbow diet. So when you start making their food, when they're a baby, obviously when their digestive system gets stronger and they can handle more fiber, because you have to be careful with the baby, their digestive system is going to start slow. You can actually make baby food with the rainbow diet. I mean, that's excellent, excellent advice. And what are things that we should avoid once we start getting older to try to protect our microbiome. Do we stay away? Do we try to avoid antibiotics at all costs if we can? Glyphosate, you know, do, should we eat organic food, uh, chemicals? I mean, in your opinion, what do you think is the best way to avoid hurting the microbiome? Because from what I understand, the, my, the more diverse the microbiome is in our gut, the healthier we'll be. Yeah, so... Um... Sorry, something, a window had opened up here. I don't know what was going on here. Hopefully my computer doesn't shut down. But um, so, um, yeah, so as you get older, your microbiome does get altered with age, unfortunately. Um, so I do like some probiotics. So I do use the spore-based probiotics. There's a one called micro, um, it's called Megaspore. So the spore-based probiotics are the ones that are really good. So I do think we should be using those probiotics. You know, that's kind of kind of like, you know, an insurance policy, right? Um, alcohol. Alcohol is one of the most toxic things to your microbiome. And I know people who drink every single day. Well, I think that wine is on, been put on a pedestal, but only because it has resveratrol, but you can get that from grapes. So you don't need all that alcohol. So I would say if you're a drinker and you're drinking regularly, you better think it twice because you are absolutely damaging your microbiome fast food, right? So try to reduce or limit your fast food. Um, seed oils, seed oils are not good for the microbiome. Too much protein, too much protein. Okay. There's everything's balanced, right? So if you eat too much protein, you're going to actually promote the growth of pro you know, these protein degraders. And many of them are actually very damaging to your health. Even so if it's grass-fed, grass-finished protein? Yeah, it's a problem is, is there's sacrolytic fermentation, which you get from the plants, and there's proteolytic fermentation that you get from the protein. And again, you need both, the seesaw, but if someone's only eating meat and nothing else, they're going to be promoting the growth of the, promoting this proteolytic fermentation. And a lot of those microbes have a lot of harmful effects on the human body. And how about coffee? Does that hurt the microbiome? Because coffee, they use a lot of pesticides when they make coffee, unless you're drinking organic coffee. Do right. you have a, 
an opinion. No, about I don't. Coffee. I think coffee's got polyphenols. I think they're it's healthy if you have a good quality coffee. So you know, Purity I think is a brand. There's a few brands out there that are pesticide free. Um, and make sure that they're you know obviously they're certified organic. Make sure that they've checked for pesticides and also mold. That's the problem with coffee. They tend to have mold. You know, I think the future of medicine involves an understanding between the delicate relationship between us and our bugs with us. You know, we have these, so many parents are out there wiping the kids' hands, not letting them play in dirt, uh, you know. That you movie, know, Let Them Eat Dirt. Let Them Eat Dirt. Yes, did you see it? I did. It's a great movie. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. So I play it for my biology students. It's like our last assignment at the end of the semester because I want them to be aware of, you know, it's okay to play in dirt, but also be aware of your microbiome. So it's basically just talking about the loss of our microbiome on the, uh, you know, with more of the modern, you know, part of the world, I guess, um, westernized, westernized part of the world. Um, it talks about the loss of the microbiome in association with a lot of diseases like asthma. There's a big association with asthma. And they were, they were strongly focusing on um, a few children in the movie that had asthma and they were showing like the composition of our microbiome compared to other parts of the world, like South America. And, and the real big difference here is we're very clean, almost too clean. You know, this is why, you know, when we were, everyone was running around wearing masks and doing hand sanitizer, I was doing none of it because I thought it was ridiculous because we're actually suppressing our immune system when we're too clean, right? So antibiotics, once again, hand sanitizer, cleaning, not letting your kids play outside in, in, the, in the dirt, you know, not letting them get dirty. You know, I mean, I think, you know, even having pets is a good thing because they do bring microbes into your home. You know, also, I think also the food, right? A lot of our food is over sterilized as well. So I think that's the problem. And as a result, we're changing our composition of our microbiome on the phyla, on, on the level of the phyla, like, you know, talking about the big picture here. So we're losing, we're losing a lot of what we were, we were supposed to have with evolution. It's, you know, our ancestors. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of rise in a lot of allergic related diseases, allergies, asthma, those types of things, autoimmune. You know, we talk a lot about uh, probiotics, but people don't talk about prebiotics in the last 30 seconds or so. If you could tell us what prebiotics are. They're food for the microbes, basically. That's what it is. Yeah. It's all the fibers and all the polyphenols and all the different things that are inside of the food. That's why, again, we go back to the rainbow diet. Rainbow diet will be high in prebiotics. And is there a, is there a special supplement that you like for prebiotics? Yeah. Same company. Microbiome Labs has a mega pre. Um, it's really nice. It's a, I get a powder. I put it in water. I drink it. It's like almost like I drink it with dinner. As we go to break, we're with Dr. Mandy LaGreca. This is Dr. Kerry Gill. We'll be right back. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. We're back with Dr. Mandy LaGreca. IcHealer.com, her Instagram, Dr. Mandy DCN, and her TikTok, Dr. Mandy DCN. Dr. Mandy, before the break, you were telling us about Prebiotic, a company that you like. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there is actually a product out there called Mega Pre by Microbiome Labs. And it's kind of, you know, it was not going to replace your healthy diet, just FYI. So don't go eating McDonald's and then do this. It's not going to make, it's not going to help. Um, but it's kind of like giving you that extra insurance policy on top of your healthy diet. And it's got, you know, um, 
green kiwi fruit powder in it. It's got xylo oligosaccharides, which is a prebiotic, and it's got galacto oligosaccharides, which is a prebiotic. So it's a very, very potent prebiotic. So um, if you have, and I usually tell people to start this after they've been on a healthy diet for a few months and they've been taking the probiotic because you don't want to feed the mad microbes. You want to feed the good microbes. So you want to establish a better microbiome through diet and, and the probiotics, which is the score-based probiotics. And then within a few months after you can introduce this to help facilitate the proliferation and growth of the good microbes. I think people don't realize what these microbes do for us that live inside our body. Uh, they provide energy and vitamins. They help our immune system and protect us against bad uh, bacteria. But what's the recommendation that you have for someone that has to go on a course of antibiotics and they've hurt their, you know, they've had it, they have to do it, you know, every once in a while, I have to prescribe antibiotics. You know, we don't love to do it, but we also, I personally recommend at the same time away from the antibiotics to also take probiotics or eat fermented, go to a place like Whole Foods and get fermented vegetables and eat them, you know, a couple of times a day away from the antibiotics. But is that the correct approach or is there a better approach? There's actually another product called Restore Flora PD which is basically got a combination of those spore-based probiotics in addition to Saccharomyces boulardii to help control and prevent yeast overgrowth. Because a lot of times when you take antibiotics, you also can get fungal overgrowth, right? Um, and this is the one that you are was designed to take with your antibiotics. So you can take it within, I think, a two-hour window of your antibiotic. And I have had some patients do that and they haven't seen a lot of negative effects from the antibiotics. Now, granted, try to avoid taking the antibiotic if you can, don't make that your first go-to, but I absolutely agree. If you need an antibiotic, I tell people who get UTIs. I said, if you have a UTI and it is cultured, you need an antibiotic. There's nothing I can do to help you. So my job is to help prevent getting UTIs, but once you have one, you have to treat it. So completely agree with me on that. So we don't want the gut to open up. And one of the proteins that open up that Dr. Alessio Fasano speaks a lot about, and I did a podcast with him, so go back and look at that for the people who are listening to this, is zonulin. Talk to us about zonulin and how do we stop the zonulin from being produced that will open up the single cell layer of the gut? My main understanding with zonulin, which is made by your gut, but also your liver, is that it opens up the, the cells, the epithelial cells in the GI tract, usually after we consume gluten. So there's apparently there's um, different proteins in wheat, like gliadin, that can actually cause that to happen. So um, that's why I have people on a gluten-free diet when I suspect leaky gut. Although I, I have to tell you, I don't think wheat in this country is actually healthy for anybody. Um, because it's sprayed with glyphosate. So um, interestingly, a lot of my patients who have gluten sensitivity here, they don't have it when they go to Europe. So I, I really don't think it's gluten sensitivity. I think it's glyphosate sensitivity. I think we should rename it. But regardless, something's happening when people in this country consume wheat, not just gluten. I hate to just say gluten. Everyone says gluten, but gluten has other proteins besides just wheat. But, uh, sorry, wheat has other things in it besides just gluten. When we consume wheat, it does cause this increase in zonulin. I've measured it on labs. So I can literally do a stool test. And so if someone's on a pretty high wheat diet or processed foods, their zonulin tends to be high. My zonulin was high, but I recently got it tested. It was low, but I've been gluten-free for four years. So I do believe there's an association and I don't think it's all genetically based gluten sensitivity. I think something's going on with wheat 
plus glyphosate that's causing this intestinal change that's causing this leaky gut? Uh, let's explain what glyphosate is because we've, we've used it a few times. It's a herbicide that's used on agriculture, basically. Roundup. If you don't know what Roundup is, right? Roundup contains glyphosate. So, so now we're we're in the gut. The gut is opening up. Contents are leaking out. Antigens are leaking out. We're starting to get reactions, and we we've there's been a lot of diseases, autoimmune diseases that have been related to leaky gut or. The, the medical term is intestinal permeability. Can you talk about why people get autoimmune disease from leaky gut? And what are some of the diseases that they can get? Yeah, I think the biggest thing has to do with how the immune system is reacting to molecules that are entering through this leaky gut. So um, theoretically, when the um, junctions of the GI tract are tight, it, uh, so you're supposed to have a healthy GI tract. If you look at the images of, a, of the lining of the GI tract, the, the junctions, the cells are tight, and then they should be nice and, and rounded. So they shouldn't be blunted at the top because at the top, that's where the nutrients come in. And so we don't want them to be open because then these larger molecules that are not supposed to get into the bloodstream get in. And so what happens is the immune system is not really comfortable with all this stuff imagine like you open your gate and all your enemies or or even people who are not your enemies but they're not supposed to be on the other side of the gate or coming in you're going to start shooting at them so when they start shooting at them there's an immune reaction that occurs now i don't necessarily think autoimmune means that it's attacking your own cells i think there's a lot of literature that's saying other things about that but there is definitely an immune reaction that's promoting inflammation. This is what I think is happening. I don't think it's like attacking your own cells. I think that's been debunked. I think that it's more of there's an immune reaction that's happening that's promoting a lot of inflammation. And it's that inflammation that's causing damage on the cellular level, which then is damaging your organs. So it's the inflammation is the bottom line. So if we can control that inflammation, we can quiet down the immune system and calm down the immune reaction, which is the autoimmune reaction. And when one, a lot of people that get one immune uh, disease, they'll get more than one disease. Unfortunately. You know, they'll get two or three. And, yeah. uh, you know, so let's talk about obesity. Obesity has been related to the gut, to, to the microbiome in the 100%. gut. And they've done studies with twins and one twin being obese and the other twin being thin. Why, why, how is it related? Well, we have different phyla of bacteria in our GI tract. Um, we've got Firmicutes, Bacteroides, and so their ratio is really important. And there have been some associations with a higher level of Firmicutes to Bacteroides that's associated with obesity. You know, these Firmicutes tend to be um, calorie absorbing. <laughs> so you can eat, have two people have different microbiomes, one's actually extracting more calories from their food than the other person. So that's the really the, the main mechanism that they're involved in. But then there's other things too, like leptin sensitivity, leptin, different insulins, you know, related microbes that are involved in insulin, you know, insulin re receptivity and um, insulin secretion and insulin resistance. So it, there's a, like a lot of hormones that are also involved in obesity that are also controlled by your microbiome. So we think things like leptin, things like insulin, ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone. So ghrelin, I always think ghrelin, ghrelin. If you want to remember the difference between ghrelin and leptin, leptin, ghrelin makes you hungry. Leptin makes you shut down the hunger. Um, and I also do, do believe that there are some people that just extract more calories. And then the last piece of that is energy and ATP. So if someone is producing less energy, they're not going to move as much. 
they're going to be more sedentary and therefore they're not burning as many calories as your the skinny counterpart who's moving more. I mean, think about it. When you see like thinner people, aren't they usually moving around a lot more? Yes. Yeah. So, so when we look at what we could do to prevent, so uh, probably everybody has leaky gut to some extent and there's non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So person doesn't have celiac, but they're still sensitive to gluten, like you talked about, probably related with the, a combination of the gluten and the glyphosate. And it's true, a lot of people, when they go to Europe, they, they'll eat bread and they won't get these flare-ups. Right. And in this country, that you could eat, a, if, you're, if you're celiac and you eat a stick of gum with that powder on it, it could, it could, it could cause an, a reaction. So talk a little bit about celiac and non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Well, the medical de definition of celiac is when they do a um, GI scope, you know, endoscopy, they can actually see the damage done to the intestine. So I think medically, there's an actual diagnosis for celiac. So when you go to the doctor and you get an endoscopy, they can actually see it. Now, if they can't see it, they can run some blood tests. And there's a few blood tests that they can run to identify if you have elevated levels of, a, of an antibody that would say that you would have celiac. But in the absence of that, you can still have the genetics for it. So there are genetics, HLA-DQ2, HLA-DQ8, and I do test for those. And so if you have a polymorphism, you know, one copy or two copies, generally two copies, I would say you are at risk of developing celiac, but currently you don't have it because you can't see it on the scope or you can't measure the antibodies on it and on labs. So that's kind of how I navigate it. Um, now, if you don't have the genetics, then you probably, and you have some sensitivity, then you probably have more of the non-celiac, non-gluten sensitivity, um, non-gluten, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, okay, we have somebody that has leaky gut, they have a lot of autoimmune conditions. What can we do to help them? Yeah, so if you have leaky gut and autoimmune conditions, the first thing you need to do is look at what you're consuming that can be inflammatory, bottom line. That would be things like fried foods. Fried foods produce, um, when you eat foods that are fried, there's something called advanced glycated end products. So you want to try to reduce that. You want to try to reduce, um, obviously, um, food coloring, processed foods. Um, even I would say, you know, the seed oils. Um, I would also go ahead and say oxalates. If you're eating a lot of oxalates, that can also promote inflammation. And then, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but gluten and dairy. I know people hate when I tell them this, but you got to take the gluten and the dairy out because that's also could be contributing to the inflammation. Even if they're healthy, even if you're eating yogurt, even if you're eating whole grains, they got to come out. There's like five foods we could talk about after the break if you want. There's five foods that I recommend people to re remove for at least 30 to 60 days. What are some of those things to avoid? So this is the elimination diet. So what you want to avoid, and I usually say, you know, 30, 60 days, you know, give it a shot, see if some of your symptoms improve. That's gluten, which is all wheat, all wheat. Um, eggs, dairy, corn, nuts, conventionally raised meats, and I'm going to add another one, alcohol. So those are the ones you're going to want to avoid. Um, and a lot of times when people do that, they still see a dramatic decrease in their inflammation and their symptoms are greatly reduced. How about lectins? Uh, you know, there's one of the a famous uh, doctor you know, that you know who he is that, yes. that stay away from lectins, yeah. even in the veg in vegetables or nightshade. Yeah. Tell us about separately lectins, staying away from good lectins that are in vegetables and separately nightshades. 
Um, I think you just want to limit them even during this elimination period as well, especially if you have really significant gut issues. If your gut issues are just like out of control, you've got tons of IBS symptoms, bloating, digestive issues, you know, painful bowel movements, things like that. Yeah, I would say I would add that in there as well. But again, it's temporary. I eat lectins now and I'm totally fine. So I do believe there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Some things you may never, I will never eat gluten again. I do not touch meat. I just know too much, too many people who've been on a gluten-free diet and then they went back to eating it and all their symptoms came back 10 times worse. So that's the one caveat. Most of the things you can reintroduce back in, um, in moderation, but gluten, I think will always, or wheat will always be out of my diet personally. And how about beans? The other lectins like beans, beans? are really good for you. Beans long-term, you know, if you pressure cook, if you pressure cook them, you're going to reduce a lot of the problems with beans. So pressure cooked beans are absolutely fabulous for your health. They help your body remove toxic bile. They really, really help with a lot of digestive issues. So I don't think people should be eating beans in the early days of healing. I usually put them on that in the later days. So that's like a phase four for my patients. I will introduce, we have a bean protocol. Karen Hurd had a really good bean protocol. I follow her bean protocol. And do you soak the beans for 24 hours? Yes, you can soak them and then pressure cook them. But did you know that canned beans generally are already pressure cooked? So if you do canned, it's probably okay too, as long as you get BPA-free cans. Okay, interesting. So we had a question about fulvic acid. Last time you mentioned that, and uh, fulvic acid is known as the nutrient booster. So tell us what fulvic acid is and... Why, why, how can that help people? So it is formed from so microorganisms in the soil. So when they break down the plant material, they actually create this in the clay. And um, we have found that there's a lot of health benefits to fulvic acid. Um, it is actually um, full of minerals. It is very potent in minerals. Um, and it is actually an antioxidant. So we know we need antioxidants because we're like a society of oxidative stress. So it is one of the most potent antioxidants around. And what that means is, for those of you who are not sure, um, when your body produces free radicals as part of it, the human metabolism, like so when you're eating food, you do produce free radicals as part of the human metabolism. We need antioxidants to buffer that. Otherwise, we have something called oxidative stress. What that means is there's too many free radicals, not enough antioxidants. And as a result, the free radicals, reactive oxygen species, we know because they're reactive, they can actually cause a lot of damage to your cells and they can cause cancer. So we want more antioxidants. So we're trying to harness antioxidants from nature. This is one way to do it. Now, um, it is an electron donor. And so it does actually, also an electron acceptor. So it does both. So it has both benefits. And it does, as a result of having this quality, it can protect your cells from this oxidation problem that I'm talking about from, and what causes all the, a lot of oxidation besides your metabolism, chemicals, toxins, glyphosate, mold, mycotoxins, EMFs. Oh my gosh, Let, let's like not even get into that. That's a whole nother day of, of interview. Um, the smart meters, the EMF towers, right? Like the 5G, your cell phone, you know, all of that is being, your cells are being bombarded and you need to harness the ability to calm that down and to buffer it. And we are trying to find things. And one of the things we found which has been in nature for thousands of years, but we've harnessed it, is folic acid. You can now get it as a supplement. In fact, there was a supplement that was around a long time that was sulfulvic and humic acid, and that was ion. Are you familiar with ion? I'm not. 
Okay. Ion is a um, company that is uh, a liquid. Um, and they were the, one of the first people that came out and said, hey, drink soil water. That's what they were saying. Drink soil water. So that's a liquid. You can get that. Oh, delicious. Um, <laughs> what did you say? Sounds delicious. <laughs> it doesn't taste like anything. It's actually very, very, very benign. You They have it for dogs. So you can put it in your water for dogs. You can put it in the water for kids. You can put it in a shake. So for those of you who want something a little bit easier to use and a little more affordable, Ion is, you can get it on Amazon. Um, I use a product called Fulvic Charge from this, remember we talked about Zeolite. So Zeo okay. Charge, Fulvic Charge, and those are the ones I use. Um, and I do two capsules of that with my Zeo Charge together. And I, I don't know, when I started using it, I could definitely tell my mitochondria were functioning better. So- and so you could take it as a pill. The ion, is that also, I've used that brand. Is that a pill or is that more of a powder? Liquid. That's a liquid. liquid. Okay. Yeah. So oh, you can yeah. get it on Amazon. I think it's interesting because it's considered a nutrient booster. So you're bo boosting all your nutrients. I mean, so many things that we're being attacked by. You know, if you're not sleeping, you're under stress. You're not eating right all the time. You're eating the same foods over and over again. You're not eating the rainbow diet. And, but you're taking some supplements, you might not be absorbing them the way they should be, or you're getting the maximum out of it. But this fulvic acid, uh, it sounds like something that I know I'm going to start taking it. So I appreciate you know, um, it. I do I hair testing and uh -huh. I noticed that um, myself, just myself in five months of using fulvic charge and zero charge with my minerals, with my healthy diet, blah, blah, blah. I have seen a imp great improvement in my oxidation rate in my mineral status, in my hair. And I know Jeff, who is my mentor with this product line, uh, another one you would love to interview, but he actually um, does hand testing and he has people um, come in and he has this very advanced equipment, the $50,000 equipment that he uses to check the mineral status on the skin using some technology. And he has all the data on his website. So if you go onto his website, which is basically zeolitelabs.com, he has all that data there. You can see it for yourself, see it for your own eyes before and after using fulvic acid and zeolite and how people's health are absolutely being transformed. And if you want to learn about zeolite, we talked about that in our first interview. Go back and listen to that. As we finish up, we only about have two and a half minutes left to go. Uh, I'm not sure which way to go, but let's do this because I did get a question about histamine intolerance. Oh. What is it and what can we do about it? And I know people that have IBS, they get histamine intolerance and they've been helped with antihistamines where they've been to many doctors and, and then someone said you have a histamine intolerance and an antihistamine, a simple antihistamine helped them. Maybe that's not the best way to do it, but tell us about histamine intolerance. So it's just histamine, so you know, is actually produced by your immune system, but it's also a neurotransmitter. Um, so it is a healthy thing to have. You don't want to cut out all your histamine. In fact, a lot of people don't know this. You need histamine to achieve orgasm. So that is actually an important neuro, it's very much involved in the brain. So people who are um, very high, high achievers and type Ayers are, they call them histamine brain. So just want to know, I'm not demonizing histamine. It's actually important to have healthy histamine levels. But what happens is we either have too much histamine production or we're not degrading it well. So if um, we have too much, what are some of the symptoms real quick? Itching. That's mm -hmm. the number one. Okay. So if someone has allergies during the season, when the fall, was it fall? When it has spring, spring, when the, you know, pollen comes out, that's histamine. So there's itching. Um, it can uh, be um, fatigue. It could be brain fog. 
Um, it could be central nervous system symptoms. It could be GI symptoms. In the bladder, it's burning. So in the, it, sometimes you might have a bowel movement that burns. That's histamine. If you have burning urination, that's histamine. And so, real quick, what, what can we do about it as we finish up here? We got about a minute left. Okay. Uh, well, number we one thing is seconds. there's an enzyme in the gut called diamine oxidase that breaks histamine down in the gut. If you have leaky gut, you probably have low levels of diamine oxidase, and that is a copper-dependent enzyme. So first and foremost, check your copper and zinc levels. And if you need copper, you need to supplement with it. If you don't, you need to stop taking it. Second thing is you can actually take a product called Histamine Digest, which contains diamine oxidase. Guess what that comes from? Kidney extract. So mm. if you eat kidney, I know it's gross, but if you eat kidney, you'll actually get diamine oxidase from that. So that's the organ meats. That's why organ meats are often healthy for you. That's one of the benefits of it. So you want to support your diamine oxidase levels. Next thing is stop drinking alcohol because alcohol is the number one cause of histamine intolerance because it kills diamine oxidase in the gut and it promotes the histamine producing bacteria in the gut. Well, we're going to, we're going to have to stop there, but uh, <laughs> low FODMAT dot. FODMAT diet also, and you could look that up. This is I'm with, Dr. <laughs> with Dr. Mandy LeGrecker. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining me today. If people want to find out more about you, how could they do it? You can go on my website, ichealer.com, and you can book a discovery call or send us a message on our, we have a chat bot. So you can send a message on chat bot with us. Talk to us. Thank you, Dr. Mandy. Thank we you. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today.